Last week, we asked you to look at a particular text every day this week, and it only takes a little bit of time to read it. But we are going to start off the morning with that text. So if you will read it with me, we are in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his, true, his word is not in us. Boy, there's a lot there. Today we're going to start a new sermon series called The Good Life. Now this is going to be a study on the book of 1 John, one chapter per week for five weeks. We're going to do something a little different with this series normally we preach topical sermons um, we have a particular topic that we want to talk about and then we see what scripture has to say about that topic with these 66 books of the bible but today and for the next four weeks we are preaching what's called exegetical sermons we will look at the scripture and see what topic the scripture brings up our desire is that you, the church, become people of the word. Remember, our very first core value is that the Bible is our final authority. You normally get snippets of scripture to support the subject matter that we're talking about. In this series, you're going to get the whole. You get all of it. All of the book of 1 John, that is. Before we move on, let's talk just a little bit about the author, John. Now, there are some who disagree, believe it or not, but most scholars agree that the author is the apostle John, the same guy who wrote the gospel of John and the same guy who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, of course, John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Okay, they, they, say, they tell the same stories in pretty much the same way, though each have their own style, and they are each directed towards a different audience. So each has value of its own. 
John, however, has different accounts than the other three. If I were to recommend to someone how to go about reading Scripture for the first time, I would recommend first reading one of the synoptic Gospels, normally Matthew, and then the book of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their accounts somewhere around the middle of the first century, but the book of First John, or the, book, the Gospel of John and the book of First John was most likely written at the last part of the first century when John was serving as a pastor of the church in Ephesus. It's generally agreed that Ephesus is where he was buried. Now, at the time of this writing, John would have had access to Matthew, Mark, and Luke's writings. And sometimes I wonder if, if he didn't think to himself, hey, they didn't include this. Or, you know what, I, I really think they should have put that in. And that's why some of his accounts are, are so much different than the others. John's account is seemingly written by somebody who was a very close friend to Jesus. We all have friends, right? Some friends are closer than other friends. Well, Jesus had friends too. He had the disciples, and that was a group of 50 or more, depending on what part of his ministry he was in. He had the 12, known as the apostles. He had the three, Peter, James, and John. And he had the one. Now, Peter, Simon, Cephas, the rock. Um, you would think that as you're reading through Scripture that that, that was going to be Jesus number one, right? But when you read the book of John, you see something different. James and John were the sons of thunder. James and John were also the ones who secretly came to Jesus and wanted to be one of them sit on his left side and one of them sit on his right side in the kingdom of heaven which made everybody else angry and it was a big argument and lots of fun so but if it weren't for the gospel of john you wouldn't know that john is the number one john is the beloved disciple Peter, James, and John make up the inner circle, but Jesus had the one. John was also the youngest of the 12, so it stands to reason that Jesus would keep him close. And many believe that Jesus' mother, Mary, and James and John' mother, Salome, were sisters. That would make John Jesus' cousin. John was the one who leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper. John was the apostle who was at the foot of the cross. In John 19, 25 through 27, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. John was exiled, banished to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. 
It is said according to the historical scholar Tertullian. Now, this isn't in your scripture, so don't go try to find it. That John was banished, presumably, to Patmos after being plunged into boiling oil and suffering no ill effects. It's also said that everyone in the Colosseum was converted to Christianity that day. But John was exiled by the emperor Domitian who was known for his persecution of Christians. So Daniel had the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had the fiery furnace, and John had boiling oil, and all of them came out unscathed. This is John, John the fisherman, John the apostle, John the son of thunder, John the beloved, John the prophet, and John the pastor. Let's get started. As we take a look at the book of 1 John, we automatically see something interesting. There is no greeting. There is no notation to who this is written to. It dives right into the message. And some believe that this was not a letter at all, but it was a sermon that was being written for the church. Chapter 1, verse 1, says, That which was from the beginning... Stop. Immediately, John sets the tone. Now, here's what you need to know about the church in Ephesus at the time of this writing. The church was not threatened by outside persecutions at this time. The church was being threatened from the inside. If a generation is 20 to 25 years, then we are looking at the grandchildren, possibly the great-grandchildren, of the people who started the church in Ephesus, the people who were there for its beginnings. And the, some of the teachings are getting watered down. Some are saying that Jesus was spirit only, that when he walked, he didn't even leave footprints because he wasn't actually in a real body. Some are saying that there is no way that Jesus could have predated Mary. So, you know, it's logical if you take God out of the mix. But John is stating in the very first line that Jesus was at the beginning. And this is what makes me really believe that this is the same author as the Gospel of John. Listen to how his Gospel starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I think that is one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. When John states it at the beginning of the Gospel of John, he repeats it again in the first line of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we are proclaiming to you. This we, are, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Again, compare that to the Gospel of John, stating that Jesus is the word. He not only predated Mary because he was there for the creation of all things, he was the word. He was God in the flesh. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. He was a real man, 100% man, and 100% God. John says, let me, let me clear this up for you. 
because you're getting sidetracked Jesus was Jesus is everything we proclaimed that he was that he is you see the the zeal that they once knew for the truth was getting mixed up with logic and theory we see in the book of Revelation which again was written by John in a vision from God a warning to the church of Ephesus Revelation 2 2 through 5 says I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first consider how far you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place the book of 1st John in this letter in this sermon which whichever it was is urging the church to come back to the truth of who Jesus is who Jesus was who Jesus forever will be in verse 2 it says the life appeared we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete again john is stating who jesus is eternal forever no beginning no end he was with the father and then he was with us he appeared to us in the flesh he didn't just hear about jesus from the guy at the donkey rental shop he knew him he saw him he felt him he touched him he hugged him he has fellowship with him right now and he's saying you can too In the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 14, verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That is the fellowship that he's talking about. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Fellowship with the Son is fellowship with the Father, and you can have that too. John says, nothing would make me happier. Make my joy complete. In verse 5 it says this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light in him there is no darkness at all John proclaims God is light and then he backs it up again in the gospel of John now some of this is going to sound familiar because this is John 3 16 
through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Listen, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In the light, we have hope. In the darkness, we have fear. In the light, the way is clear. In the darkness, the way is hidden and unknown. In, in the light, we walk without stumbling. In the darkness, we trip and we fall. Walk in the light. In verse 6, it says that if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We can't just say that we follow Jesus. If we say we follow Jesus, but don't allow him to change us the way that David was talking about just last week, we lie. Try to understand this. I am not saying that we are saved by what we do. There is nothing you can do to save you. But you can't simply say the words and think that's it. God looks at your heart and what you do, what you say, what happens in your life comes from your heart. Look at it this way. You can get married. You can go through the ceremony. You can repeat the vows, exchange the rings. You can have the candle ceremony or whatever ceremony they have to uh, symbolize your promise. You can kiss your bride. You can kiss your groom. You can, can have the minister declare in front of the world that you are Mr. and Mrs. whatever. But if you don't change, if you don't learn to walk together, if you see other people and you do married things with other people, then you're not really married. You just went through a ceremony. Take the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21, 28 through 32. Jesus says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Following Jesus does not begin and end with a prayer. And listen to me, Christian Church, Church of Christ, neither does it begin and end with baptism. You can't just say the words and enter the waters and not change your heart. Because if your heart isn't there, if you don't allow Jesus to change you, you will just get wet. What was the last part of that message? And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Last week we sang a, a, a brand new song called Thank You Jesus for the Blood. Beautiful song. Maddie did a great job of singing it too. But this is where Christianese comes into play. If we start talking about the blood of Jesus without the proper context, then we lose people. The truth of the matter is, is that God had set up a system of atonement using the blood of animals. This started thousands of years before Jesus, at least before Jesus put on flesh and appeared to us. They already knew the idea of a blood sacrifice. So for them, taking the next step wasn't as difficult. It wasn't hard for them to understand that God loved them, but only his blood could finally wipe their sins from the book. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is a good time to talk about this. Why don't you take this out for a minute? We call this communion. Jesus was sitting with the 12 for a very special meal called the Passover feast. It was a feast that was held every year so that God, what God did to save his people would never be forgotten. Death was coming to Egypt. God's people were to sacrifice a lamb and use the lamb's blood on the doorpost of their homes so that death would pass them by. Then they were to go inside and eat the lamb and prepare for the journey. Sitting with his closest friends at the Last Supper, Jesus was trying to explain to them that he is now the Passover lamb. The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood. This is the only sacrifice. His body, his blood, that's what saves you. That's what purifies you. We share this meal so that what God did to save his people will never be forgotten. We're gonna do that right now. Why don't you take that bread 
And in the context of what you just heard, the body of Jesus, the body of the Lamb that was part of the Passover feast, broken for you, let's take that together. The blood of the lamb was to be spread on the doorpost and the angel of death would pass you by we're not gonna put this on our doorpost we're gonna do what Jesus asked us to do and that is to drink this and remember that his blood is what allows death to be defeated let's take that together I, uh, I had an interesting experience when I lived in Florida. I didn't have a secret life with Jesus. Everybody that I worked with knew that I was one of those. <laughs> this was before I was in the ministry, by the way. I was just working as a ship's agent in, in Port Canaveral. I prayed every day on my way to work that God would put somebody in my path that I could share Jesus with that day and before I go on if you're going to pray that prayer just know that God will put somebody in your path so don't pray it if you don't really want it anyway I'm wrapping up the day and this cruise ship is sailing away and I'm walking back through the terminal and this this one woman that I talk to pretty much every day uh, worked for the cruise company and she asked me why I believe what I believe well Paul says always be prepared to give an account right so great I start in well the first thing you have to understand is we all sin I don't she said you don't think you've ever sinned I asked her no she said Whatever I've done, I wanted to do. I don't regret any of it. What do you do with that? Well, she's a friend, so I, I try to explain to her nicely, truthfully, that her idea of sin might differ from what God's idea of sin is, but she wasn't having it. She believes she was without sin. In our text, if you look at verse 8 it says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we claim we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us if you are without sin you don't need God's forgiveness. You're like Adam and Eve before they ate the forbidden fruit. 
But since that point in time and ever since then, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin equals death. Sin equals separation from God permanently. But John says here that if we confess our sins, Jesus will purify us. What it does not say is that Hey, if you stop sinning, then you can come to Jesus. You, you don't try to get your act together first before you come to him. Getting your act together is his job. What does that say? Jesus changes everything, not you. You know what I think the biggest mistake that we make when we actually want to witness somebody? We act like we've arrived hey if you come to Jesus you can be like me you don't want to be like me we want to be like Jesus we are sinners we're made perfect by Christ's sacrifice but we are sinners we're sinners when we come to Jesus. We're sinners when we're serving Jesus. We're sinners right now in this room. We are sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? We're sinners. Say it with me. We are sinners. Ah, Let's do it again. Say it with me. We are sinners. By confessing our sins, we are admitting that we need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I need his blood sacrificed so that my sin does not separate me from God forever. This is the message of life and this is the first chapter John is asking you he's asking us to walk in the light as Jesus in the light is in the light and if we do then the blood of Jesus will purify us from all sin can you imagine from all sin what does it cost it's free just ask for it Trust him to do what he says he can do. Let him live in you and you live in him. That's the fellowship that they're talking about in this chapter. Stop trying to fix yourself and let Jesus change you. Ah. In, the, in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And I couldn't have a more perfect song for this message so this is take home theology this is something I want you to sing the rest of the week but if you, if you would like to talk to somebody about Jesus if you would like to talk to somebody about what it means to walk in the light if you would like to talk to somebody and understand that there is nobody in this room that's perfect especially me but if you would like to know more I'm going to be up here. Taylor's going to be up here. Stan's going to be up here. Some elders. We would love to talk to you. We don't have to stay here. We can all go back in the back porch and talk. But 
take this time, all right? Let's, let's pray together and get ready to worship. Heavenly Father, what a glorious God you are. What a message of hope. What a message of love and light. Father, you offer us perfection for imperfect people. You offer us love when we deserve your hatred. You offer us light in the midst of the darkness. You give us freely what we shouldn't even be able to earn. So Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you knowing that we are sinners. And the only way that we can be anything more than that is through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How awesome you are. How glorious, how wonderful. We don't want to just give you this prayer. We want to give you ourselves. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.